0: We're in Romans chapter 4, starting in verse 13. Clearly, God's promise to, to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants was based not on his obedience to God's law, but on a right relationship with God that comes by faith. If God's promise is only for those who obey the law, then faith is not necessary and the promise is pointless. For the law always brings punishment on those who try to obey it. The only way to avoid breaking the law is to have no law to break. So the promise is received by faith. It is given as a free gift, and we are all certain to receive it, whether or not we live according to the law of Moses, if we have faith like Abraham's. For Abraham is the father of all who believe. That is what the scriptures mean when God told him, I have made you the father of many nations. This happened because Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life, And who creates new things out of nothing. Even when there is no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God had said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at about a hundred years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead, and so was Sarah's womb. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this, he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. And because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. And when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was recorded for our benefit too, assuring us that God will also count us as righteous if we believe in him. The one who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. He was handed over to die because of our sins, and he was raised to life to make us right with God. Let's pray together. Lord, again, we come to you this morning, and Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for your promise, and we thank you for your gospel. We thank you for Jesus, Lord. We cannot thank you enough. Lord, I ask that you would bless the rest of this service today. Lord, that you would... Uh, Grant us a spirit of focus for you, that you would quiet our minds with whatever worries we might have from this last week or worries we have going into this next week, Lord, that we may be able to focus on you and your word today. Lord, I ask that you would strengthen Pastor Doug as he comes to bring us your word, Lord, and I I ask that you would bless his his preparation that he has done for this. We ask and pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
1: And my wife and I, we could tell, interestingly enough, we could tell that our daughter-in-law, Alex, knows nothing about farming. Specifically when she said, well, the farmers can bring all their combines. We said, do you know how big they are? And um, so we sort of quieted her down on that but I did put new wheels, new tires, on my little trailer, pulled by my massive tractor. (laughs) That will be ready to go. I'm looking forward to that. Great opportunity also to pass out tracks to not only just the children, but their parents that will bring them. Great opportunity for outreach, and we'd love to have you with us. Our goal this morning, if you still have your your Bibles open to Romans chapter four, our goal this morning is to finish this chapter. I thought for sure that'd be a big amen, but uh, we are plodding along. The issue that we have to deal with is the issue that the Apostle Paul was dealing with even back during the days of his writing this letter. The, if you will, this particular epistle to the church at Rome. The question is, what happens when we die? There are four key questions that all of the world systems are looking for the answers for. The first one is what is truth Herod asked Jesus that particular question when he, when Jesus stood before Herod or Pilate and, and, and Pilate said, what's truth? From there, individuals want to know, is there a God and what does he look like? Who is he? The next question is, who am I? Where did I come from? What is my purpose in this world? The last question is, what happens when I die? Those four key questions you will find answered, somewhat answered, whether truthful or not. Some of them are answered in every world view. In the Christian worldview, the biblical Christian worldview, all of our answers come from the Word of God itself, It's established as the foundation of all truth. It is the absolute truth. Because Paul writes for us in 2 Timothy 3:16 that it is God breathed. The same, the, the phraseology there in the Greek. Matches very, very closely with what Jesus or what God did in in Genesis chapter 2 when he breathed life into Adam. It is the very life of God written for us to encourage us, as Paul writes to Timothy, for doctrine, for reproof. For correction and instruction in righteousness. And so Paul is is answering the question, how or what do we look forward to when we come to the end of our life? Last week we only got through the first section which said righteousness is not provided by works. There's nothing we can do in and of ourselves to garner, to guarantee, to even plead for the righteousness of God known as justification. Now let me remind you of the definition of justification. Justification is a declaration of God whereby, through faith in Christ Jesus, a sinner is declared free. He is righteous. Not in and of themselves, it is through Jesus Christ. When we get to chapter 5 of verse 1, it says, Therefore, being justified by faith... We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Justification, God declares a sinner to be not guilty of condemnation. We've been set free from the penalty of sin. Sanctification, which we will get to, Later on in the Epistle of Romans, is the process whereby we grow in our walk with Jesus Christ described for us clearly in Romans chapter 8, where it says we take on, if you will, or develop in the very image of Jesus Christ. It's a walk of faith, that's sanctification. Described for us even better in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, where it talks about the preaching of the cross to them who are perishing is foolishness. But to us who are being saved, present tense, all of you children that are in English, I trust you know the difference between past, present, and future of, of all kinds of verbs. We are being saved it is the power of God. And then Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 4 and 5 of our final goal which we shall have as our end of salvation whereby in the presence of God so we have justification sanctification glorification. But don't get them confused. I am afraid that there's too much going on as far as getting justification and sanctification together. They don't belong together. Justification is a one and done declaration by God never to be rescinded through, by faith through the finished work of Jesus Christ. Sanctification is a long life process And we may not enjoy the lifestyle of an individual who claims to have been justified by God. That's not my call. They can choose to not grow in their faith. But they may not choose the consequences that God would have. Don't get those mixed up. In other words, just because someone doesn't dress like us, talk like us, go to places like us, does not mean that they have not been declared by God free. They just isn't living like it. That's what the Apostle Paul is getting at. The question is this, how is an individual justified, declared by God to be not guilty of condemnation. Verses 1 through 8, it's not by works. Both Paul used both Abraham and David to declare the fact that nothing that they did. Abraham didn't do anything. All he did was believed God. The second one, though, and on your, not, on your notes there that you have, from verses 9 to 12, we did not get to this last week, just let me give it to you quickly. Righteousness is provided by faith, not rights, R-I-T-E-S. It's not by circumcision. And here's something for in present-day church. Baptism gets you nothing. Doesn't earn the righteousness of God. Taking of communion doesn't earn the righteousness of God. Having Sunday school pins down to your shoelaces doesn't earn the righteousness of God. Rights. The Jews thought because they are of the circumcised, if you will, relationship with God that they were automatically in. And the Apostle Paul says, no, it's not what it is. It is by faith. It is by faith and faith alone. Third declaration is what Pastor uh, uh, Steve read for us this morning. Deals with the fact that righteousness is provided by faith, not the law. Verses 13 to verse 17. You'll notice the Apostle Paul makes mention of the law. He says, because the law produces wrath. Apostle Paul writes later in one of his letters to the church when he says that the law is our teacher, proving to us that we cannot, in and of ourselves, produce righteousness. Earlier in the the text here of Romans in chapter 3, we notice over in verse 20, it says, For no one will be justified in the sight by the works of the law, because the knowledge of sin comes through the law. And So the Apostle Paul asks the question, So is there any good thing in the law? Yes. Because as justified people... We should live according to the principles that God sets out in his word. His law hasn't changed. We still should not kill. We still should not steal. Which, by the way, we ought to remind the the, the, uh, government about that one. Thou shalt not steal. Do you know why that law's there? In fact it is illegal to steal up to a hundred dollars apparently you don't watch any of the news California walk into any store you want and steal up to a hundred dollars they can't touch you you go a hundred dollars and one cent boy you're in trouble let me tell you but the reason the government has that is because they don't want any competition Wow, you guys are asleep, this I can't believe it. It's not by law. Again, the apostle Paul uses Abraham. Because when Abraham in Genesis chapter 15, the law did not come until Exodus chapter 20. And that's what the Apostle Paul is saying for us. If those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made empty and promise nullified because the law produces wrath. But there was no law. There was moral conscience, but there was no law of God. And so there's no way that Abraham could even declare that he was made justified, declared righteous by God for what the things that he did. Because the text also tells us that he looked at himself and he says, I'm dead. There is no way I can produce an heir. He's 100 years old. 90 at the time of Genesis 15. 100 years old at the time of Genesis 17. Isaac was born... After Genesis 17, he was 100 years old and Sarah was 90 years old. Six times in our marriage, my wife dropped the bomb on me saying, Honey, we're going to have a child. We are past childbearing baby. If you tell me we're having a child now... I'll have to get me a second job. (laughs) But can you imagine Abraham? In fact, um, I have time. We need to turn to Genesis 15. Turn back to Genesis 15. First book in in the whole Bible, Genesis chapter 15. May the Lord bless us as we look at his word and what is written for us. In Genesis chapter 15, we begin by at least noticing that Abraham's name at this time is just Abram. That gets changed in Genesis 17. Just take my word for it. It gets changed. After these events, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your reward will be very great. But Abram said, Lord God, what can you give me since I'm childless and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus? Abram continued, look, you have given me no offspring, so a slave born in my house will be my heir. Now the word of the Lord came to him, this one will not be your heir. Instead, one who comes from your own body will be your heir." God took him outside and said, look at the sky and count the stars. If you are able to count them, then he said to him, your offspring will be that numerous. Verse 6, Abram believed the Lord and God credited it to him as righteousness. Abram is 90 years old. Old, And God says, you're going to have a child from you, Abram. If you do research, you'll find out that there are approximately just in our galaxy, just our galaxy alone, then you go to our little part called the Milky Way, if you look at the galaxy that we belong to, and known as the Milky Way, and you come down here, the left-hand, right hand corner and the little cul-de-sac, you can measure it with your fingers about that big. There are just in that little area, billions of billions of stars. It's been noticed that there are over trillions of other galaxies. Trillions. God says, Abram, go outside and count the stars. If you can. That's how much your offspring will be. What's amazing about that is that You go back to Genesis chapter 12 where the institution of the beginning of the Abrahamic covenant, God said, I'm going to give you land and I am going to use you to bless all the nations of the earth. By that meaning is it's recorded here that literally by faith, through the finished work of Jesus Christ, we have become an heir of Abraham. Doesn't make us Jewish. But we're part of the Abrahamic covenant that God is going to raise up a generation as numbered as the stars. Through Abraham's faith. I I trust that gives you a better understanding and appreciation of who Abraham was. It was by his faith that this promise was made. You'll notice in verse seven, Abraham doesn't argue. He says, Okay. That's fine. In chapter 17, just a couple pages over, we flip forward to about 10 years. God comes to Abraham. And the first thing he does is he changes his name. You're not going to be called Abram anymore. You will be called Abraham. Abraham. Abram means father high or high father Abraham means father of many nations and God establishes his covenant with Abraham by the right if you will or the issue of circumcision So as the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 4, it's not by circumcision. Abram got the promise before that. He believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. It's not by law because the law was not given yet. It's by faith. Faith alone we are justified through Jesus Christ, declared by God, not Guilty of condemnation. Please shake your head up and down that you understand what I'm talking about this morning. We have been set free from the penalty of sin. Never to be rescinded. You cannot lose what God has promised to give you. It's a covenant. And there are two types of covenants in the word of God. One of the covenants is dependent upon what we do, then God will do. Moses is telling as he's, we're, we're moving ahead now to Deuteronomy. Stay here, Deuteronomy. Moses says, if you want life, if you want the blessing of God, do this. If you don't, then you have the consequences of God. That is a conditional covenant. God will do for you if you do this. This is an unconditional covenant that God makes by Himself. And I'm going to tell you something our salvation is an unconditional covenant that God has made and it has been sealed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. All we have to do is believe. I can't work for it. There's nothing I can do to gain it. All God wants is believe. And God establishes this, co- this covenant with Abraham By having Abraham take certain things and divide them. Then a deep sleep comes on Abraham. I'm covering this pretty fast for you, so hang on. A deep sleep comes on Abraham. It's nighttime now, and what he sees is God walks through the middle of these things that have been slit and put aside. An unconditional covenant that cannot be broken. God will not break his word. He who has the son has life. Someone help me out with an amen. That can never be broken. That's justification, dear people. One and done. Never to be revoked. Ever again. The last one is now we're back in Romans chapter four. Is God's righteousness is declared by faith, believing in the promises of God. What are the promises of God? It's amazing as you go and you find out that as you get to verse 22, it says, therefore, it was credited to Abraham for righteousness. Now, it was credited to him, was not written for Abraham alone, but also for us. It will be credited to us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. You'll notice I'm getting a little loud here. He was delivered up for our transgressions and raised for our justification. That is God's promise. That is how we are justified. By believing the promises of God, I want to give to you six closing statements, truths, that deal with this particular issue. Issue number one. We're not told that Abraham was reckoned righteous because of the vision of the, God, the glory of God that was promised to him while he was in the Earl of Chaldeans. That you go to Genesis chapter 12, when God said to Abram, get up from your land and go to a land that I will show you. That was not the means of Justification. Nor do we read that he was reckoned righteous because he forsook his own land and was brought to the land of Canaan. No. Nor because he had such high courage as to go to war with kings to rescue his nephew Lot. No. All these things occurred before the amazing scene in Genesis 15, where God proposed to him something absolutely impossible to accomplish, except in God himself. It was by faith. The second is this, Abraham was reckoned righteous when he believed in the Lord and his word to bring about concerning Abraham something that could not humanly be, that he should be the father of nations. Number three, Abraham gave glory to God because he counted on God's bringing to pass his word about that which only God's glorious power could affect, a thing completely outside of human possibility but which all God's faithfulness and truth were pledged to accomplish. Fourth, the Lord reckoned Abraham righteous not because he was either righteous or holy, but acting absolutely and entirely according to himself who gives life to the dead and calls the things that are not as though they were Abraham and Sarah were for all intents and purposes sexually dead could not happen and yet they believed God God said that which is dead will be alive Oh, let's talk about that just for a couple minutes. Can we hear this morning? We were dead in our trespasses and sins. For all intents and purposes, spiritually speaking, we are dead. But by faith, God has announced that we are now alive in him. Number four. Already did four. Five. The purpose then of God concerning Abraham. Abraham, by faith, believing in what God told him, allowed God to fulfill that which he knew he himself could not produce. I love 1 Peter 1, verses 19 to 21, where it says, But with the precious blood of Christ, like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was revealed in these last days for you. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Lastly, in verses 23 to 24 is the blessed truth for all believers that we, like Abraham, have righteousness reckoned to us and that the story of Genesis is written for our sake as proof that God does what he says he will do. I have two closing remarks in our time left. First, it is upon what God has declared we believe. The very God who was in the opening chapters of Romans brings all of us under his judgment without righteousness and helplessness to attain it. It is now declared to reckon those who believe in Jesus Christ whom God has raised from the dead second it is upon the whole gospel in which we place our faith not only was jesus delivered up for our trespasses but he was also raised for our justification what does that mean in 1 corinthians chapter 15 3 to 6 it reminds us of this important truth that christ died for our sins according to the scriptures was buried rose again the third day according to the scriptures and was seen of many. Yes, Jesus Christ took upon himself the penalty of the world's sins and paid the full requirement of a holy God by shedding his blood upon the cross. For without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. But God also raised Jesus Christ from the dead as a sign of his approval of the payment, as well as the only way in which sinners by faith can be reckoned to be righteous. Both the death and the resurrection. That's why I love that old preacher who once said, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. Death. Resurrection. Death for the payment. Resurrection for the approval. And it is in those two things that we, by faith, can be declared righteous by a holy God. So this morning you're faced with a very important question. What are you counting on for God to reckon you? when it's not by works, when it's not by rights, when it's not by law, then it must be upon the promise of God. Are you trusting that this day? I trust you are. I hope you are. Closing sentence, do you know him as your only hope for forgiveness from God? That's what Paul is getting at. Our only hope is in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. God our Father, hallowed be thy name. For it is by you and through you that you have given up your son to die for us. And he fulfilled your holy requirement to the minutest detail. And so pleased with that payment that you raised him from the dead as a point of approval that now Sinners can be declared righteous, but it's by faith. Oh, may that drill into our hearts and minds that the only way we can be justified by God is by faith. To you be the glory, the dominion, the power, both now and forevermore. Amen.